Hello everyone and welcome to King's Talk presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony with me as always. We've got John. I want to wish you all a happy new year. The Kings are one and one on the new year. And since the last time we've talked, they've gone three and one with a win coming against Atlanta. A huge comeback win. 23 point comeback win over the Atlanta Hawks. A, just an absolute beatdown on the last day of 2023 against the Memphis Grizzlies, only allowing 92 points. To the Grizzlies, which was uh, the first game Kevin Herter got benched. We'll have more to talk on that later. An embarrassing loss to the Charlotte Hornets, right? Not the Bobcats anymore. <laughs> um, to start off the year. To start off the year with letting the Charlotte Hornets end their 11-game losing streak against the Kings at home. On a the second night of a back-to-back for them as well. But then they come back the next night. And they beat the Magic. The first time this year they've won a back-to-back game. Double overtime. Crazy game. I was there. Made it even more special for me. John, Happy New Year. How are you doing? Happy New Year, Tony. Happy New Year, everybody listening. Uh, I'm doing pretty well. At this point in 2024, I think I'm just interested to see how Chris Duarte continues to do in that starting two-guard position. Because one of the things that kind of has me looking positively at this team is that I think aside from late in that Charlotte game where they allowed a lot of penetrations, I think from guys like Rogier and whatnot, since the second half of the, that Atlanta game, they're playing pretty consistent defense. I think even with that Orlando game, you know, the game plan against a team that does not shoot threes, I think they have the lowest attempts and one of the lowest three point percentages in the league. The Kings executed their game plan about as well as you could. Maybe they adjusted a little too late because they ended up using more blitzes on Bancaro and whatnot and trying to take away the three. Maybe they should have done that a little earlier out of halftime, seeing the fact that they were still continuing to light it up from beyond the arc. But still, I think you ask players and Mike Brown, the defensive execution against Orlando was pretty good. So you factor in that second half of the Atlanta game, the entirety of the Memphis game in which Mike Brown said, the team played the best defense from start to finish that he's seen since he's started coaching in Sacramento. And then some of that Charlotte game, and then I think you give credit on the Orlando game, you're seeing them play defense. And this team, as Mike Brown has said many times before, can score. Like there, It doesn't matter what combination of players are out there, especially when you have guys like Fox and Simonis, you can score. The way to make the jump is defensively. And from the last couple of performances defensively, They've chained those together, and for the first time, it kind of seems like they really could do that sometime soon. And I wouldn't say it's all because of Duarte, but I think Duarte's played a pretty big role in it. Now, granted, of course, he had a pretty dreadful game against the Magic because he was fouling, which was kind of his big problem early this season. But the the defense just seems completely different. It seems like they're communicating more, applying the physicality, and utilizing the multiple efforts, the three controllables that Mike Brown often references. And then they still have a ton more room of improvement, but this is what we've been waiting for all season. This is what we've been waiting for, you know, since the end of last season. Like, what kind of jump can they make? It all lies on the defensive end. And right now, we're actually kind of starting to feel the seismic shift of what's happening on that side of the ball. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we're praising Chris Duarte, right? And he, he's been good. He's definitely added some defensive intensity in that starting lineup. But I think it also highlights, like, man, <laughs> Kevin Herter has really fallen off. I mean, his defense was terrible. His offense really wasn't that special either this season. And I think just replacing him with a guy who's going to bring it a little more on defense and you, I mean, they're not really losing much on the offensive end with Duarte in there. It just shows how bad Herter has been this year. And it's like, it brings up the other question, at least for Herter. I mean, their defense looks better, but I mean, for me, it's like, is it time to move on from Kevin Herter? Like, how much longer is this guy going to be in Sacramento? Because if Mike Brown is really trying to uh, establish a defensive presence in Sacramento. And I, and I think he should. I, I think after watching a lot of games, it's like, Okay, the Kings, like, especially that Charlotte game and the Portland game, those two losses were very, like, yeah, I mean, you're only losing to these teams because you're letting them outscore you. Obviously, that's how you lose basketball. But if they had a little better defense, a little better intensity on the defensive end, and I'm not saying it's Kevin Herter's fault alone, but if they can just get that 
that good defender to lock down it like a Terry Rozier where they need a Terry Rozier lockdown or a Scoot Henderson, you know, then I mean, I think they could have gone on like a five, six game winning streak. But Kevin Herter, man, I hope and I don't know. I'm I'm hoping, but I hope he's kind of gone at the trade deadline and that Monty can flip him for a defensive wing. I don't know if that's possible or not, but I think that's what this is all kind of made clear to me is like, dang, Kevin Herter, he's he's got to go. I think one of the things that facilitates that thought is the fact that, in my opinion, based on what I think Brown's thinking, I think if Duarte continues what he did against Orlando, which is fouling needlessly, if he keeps doing that, which I don't really necessarily think he will, because that was like one, a one-off game over the last couple where before that he was playing really well. So mm-hmm. I think he'll hold on to his starting job for for a few more games for sure. But even if he continues doing what he, against, what he did against Orlando, I'm not convinced Mike Brown just reverts back to Herder. I mean, why do that when it's 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 Duarte's defense that has made a huge difference? And you wouldn't want to revert back to going with the offensive minded player and hurting the defense. You're just going to end up back where you were. I mean, we've seen Herder start a whole season last year, start however many this year. And not much has changed, you know. He he seems to always, even if he keeps the negative attention off him defensively, it was a matter of time for it to come back, for things to catch up to him, for the the season to start to wear on him and, and, and those issues to be exacerbated even more. So, honestly speaking, I think that if Duarte doesn't work out, and maybe this sounds crazy to some, but I don't really think it sounds too crazy, I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Brown went from Duarte to someone like Juan Toscano Anderson or something like that. Maybe even Kessler Edwards. Now that may sound crazy, but I guess what my my point here is that it's clear what the focus needs to be here. It's clear what the weakness is for the team that needs to be worked on the most to make them go to the next level. It's defense. You're not going to get help defensively from Herter. Can Herter be some kind of a weapon off the bench? Maybe, but at that point, that's not even a sure thing. Trading Herter has to be something that is being talked about. I mean, you you got a guy that's making between 15 and $16 million a year that's now basically the ninth or 10th man in the rotation. And he's sort of played that way. I mean, he's sort of earned his way into that role. And of course, he's going to be okay with it. Of course, he's all in on the situation. But I mean, Herder's role is so minimal compared to the price he's paid. It just, it's disproportional. That just seems like a no-brainer to have to move him. And you know, we we were talking a lot over the last month or two, like, oh, Davion Mitchell's trade values is is plummeting. And maybe that's not so much the case now, but he was never going to be a major trade ship. He was never going to be somebody that their team was going to kind of offer something a little, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're going to go out of their way to go get him. Herder's a little different. You know, Herder's got his issues defensively, but he's still a hell of a basketball player. He's still a great offensive player. He's still got the track record of being one of the better shooters around he's got value and teams teams need that you know and i do think that one of the things about his three-point struggles is that's still got to be affected by the amplified focus on the defensive end and i feel like if you freed him up and got him somewhere else where they're not necessarily calling on calling on him to do that as hard i mean of course every coach is going to want him to defend and he tries hard to do that but I think if you kind of get him to a different team where they really need to maximize his offensive skill set and let him be that guy, I mean, he's going to continue. He's going to return, I guess I should say, to to being that you know forty percent three point shooter. I think so too. So I think it might actually help Herder a lot to get traded. I guess is another way of putting yeah, that. just a little change in scenery. But this whole idea of Herder getting benched for Duarte was always a possibility. Ever since we saw Duarte get that preseason start and play really well with the starters, it just always seemed like, well, this is a possibility. And the question was, it's like, well, what's Herter's role off the bench? Is he suited to be a good role player? Are they going to be able to maximize what they get out of him? And it's hard to do all that. So, I mean, if unless Herter can somehow miraculously become solid end-to-end in terms of never really having the sort of breakdowns defensively that we've seen in a high volume over the last games. I mean, you watch the early part of Atlanta. I think he had three mistakes in his five minutes, didn't play for the rest of the first half. You know, he can really pile up defensive mistakes in a short amount of time. 
you say you want to see Herder gone. I think that's a fair sentiment because I mean, you can get something for him and what you're going to be utilizing him as is just, it's not worth it for the price. No. And someone's going to want him. Yeah. I mean, the dudes are great. He can stretch the floor. I, I mean, he hasn't been doing the best job of it so far this year, but he's proven through his career. This is what his fifth year now, I want to say. May fifth or sixth year, but he's he's proven to be a very reliable three point shooter, uh, and that's not saying I think Chris Duarte is the answer at the shooting guard position. I, I I don't think so. I mean, I don't think Chris Duarte is starting on a championship level team. He maybe in a year or two. I mean, he's still it's only his third year in the league. He showed a lot of promise as a rookie. I don't know if the Kings want to bank on that. But I think the Kings just really need that, that like a good example, because it's easy to relate to, is that Doug Christie. They need, they, they have the offense. They have Fox. They have Sabonis. And they, and Fox and Sabonis are good defenders. Murray and Barnes. Murray has shown that he can be a great defender, but he's also, I think, inconsistent at times. Same with Barnes. I think they just need in that, a starting lineup is that defensive oriented guy. And like I'm willing to sacrifice some offense to get some defense, and uh, I I think you, like you you were saying with if Duarte doesn't work out, you got to want Toscano Anderson, like for sure. You need defense at this point, and I mean you I mean I don't know <laughs> I want Toscano Anderson is definitely not the answer either, but if they can try to find someone in the trade market where they can. You know, I, I mean, I always say it. They just need a 3 and D guy. And maybe more of a D than a 3 guy for the shooting guard position. And like we talked about last week, that, that 2 through 4 position seems so... I want him to be very interchangeable. So he's kind of the 2 I'm talking, but can guard the 3, can guard the 4 if needed. Just a long guy, athletic. I, I think that's what they're really missing. But more so on the defensive side. I, I, I think that would help out this team immensely. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of belief in Duarte because uh, I think Katie Christensen mentioned this on the broadcast last night, where it's like, you have to remember that Duarte, especially in his rookie season, he was a really, really good offensive player. I mean, he's got the ability to score, he's got the ability to play make, and he's got the ability to hit open threes. I mean, like ever since he got traded to Sacramento, he said that he wanted to embrace whatever role they gave him. So he's really gone all in on defense. And Mike Brown believes, I think he said this before the Hornets game, that Duarte can be that defensive presence that we've, you know, we didn't really see it against Orlando, but he can be that defensive presence and still provide the offense. I mean, Mike Brown said, it doesn't really matter what combination of players we put out there, we can score. I mean, that's the common trend here. Mm -hmm. And we've seen Duarte, I think over his last 10 three-point attempts hit four. He's had a couple of nice plays. I think he had a a four-assist game against Charlotte. I think it's there. I think I think Duarte can figure this thing out and and really hold down that spot. It's not necessarily for certain, but a I think he gives you a better chance than Herder, and mm-hmm. two I think he can get a lot better at what he's doing. And another thing that's interesting too, when you talk about the offense and all this stuff, Mike Brown made a great point. You know, Fox is a great defender, but Fox is also your leading scorer. One of the things that Duarte provided against the Hawks and the Grizzlies was that Fox didn't have to guard Morant or Trey Young. Duarte could do that. And you, you've kind of seen like Keegan Murray do that kind of stuff too. But now you're maximizing the amount of guys that can defensively hold down tough assignments while freeing up Fox from having to work so hard on both ends. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Like in, in, in my opinion, it's like, okay, things kind of feel like they can go in, in a really good direction with Duarte. But it's not necessarily certain. And I think it'll be interesting to see how Duarte bounces back. See if he can get back on that track of what he was doing in most of that Atlanta game, throughout the Memphis game, even in that Charlotte game. I think it's there. I think he, he can be a really, really good piece to this team. I think so, too. I, he can. It's just, are, are, like, how long are you going to wait, you know, to bank on this to happen? True. I mean, I just getting my sense from Brown... It's just like Brown sounds like he has a ton of confidence in him. Just from what he said pre-game in the Hornets game. It's interesting because he did really revert back to some bad trends in that Orlando game. But that's one game. Let's let's see what mm-hmm. he can do. But it, it, the time frame of where he can do that is a big question. 
because it could be a couple months before he's consistently doing what he needs to be doing. And and that might not be enough. And I'm not even saying like this year, like this year, like Duarte, I think should be, I mean, unless he really falls off and hurt or somehow finds his way back. Like I'm not even just talking about time frame this year. It's, it's next year too. Cause like next year, the championship expectations really, you know, they, they heighten. And if Duarte still just kind of, you know, a good player, but maybe just not good enough. It's just, I don't know. It's like, when is it time to move on? If you can grab someone at, at the trade deadline this year or in the off season, do you just move on from Duarte too? If you think he can be a better player? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's all it, so far it is. out it's there. A, it's so it's vague. Hard to say, but it, that's a, it's a fair point though. I mean, nothing's for certain at this point. I, I just haven't seen that from Duarte. I, he hasn't convinced me where it's like, all right, this dude's the future. And I, I get it. He has that potential. Brown has a lot of faith. But, I mean, the Kings the Kings are going to get very close to win now in a year or two. And that's still a long time. But I just have I have trouble really imagining Duarte being that starting shooting guard for the long run. But who knows? Maybe maybe right. he'll it's prove me. Dis- yeah, he can prove me differently. He's only in his third year. He showed a, he was great his rookie year. And it's great that he wants to be that defensive guy here. I guess we'll just have to see. I still need to be a little convinced. But, hey, he's looked good so far. He's looked better than Herter. I, I've liked what I've seen, for sure. Yeah. I think I think that's all really fair. It's just there's still so much uncertainty. And, and you know, this is kind of a fragile situation because you need to figure out who your, start, who your starting lineup is. I mean, you need that stability and you need that consistency from them. And I think it's fair to say that. Duarte still has a bit to prove. Mm-hmm. And also, he's got to continue being a good offensive player. I mean, he can't... He, he he takes the right shots. He's hit a few. But I'd still like to to see him be a little bit more of a seamless piece of the offense. I think there still are some hesitations or some mistakes. Like I said, I mean, he didn't... I don't think his place out there in the starting lineup against the Hornets, as some people were kind of questioning, I don't think his place was out place being out there was the reason for them committing all those turnovers but did he com- contribute to a few of those turnovers absolutely there were some miscommunications and kind of misreads i guess between him and domas in particular which is always kind of interesting because everybody oh they got this chemistry playing in indiana together and i just you've seen a little bit of that over the last few games but i still feel like overall this year it almost feels like they're still trying to figure out what the hell the other one's gonna mm-hmm. do so it was a half a season <laughs> you know it's a half a season. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. It's a great point. It was not a lot, and Duarte got hurt, and Sabonis got traded, and yeah, it was a very small sample size. Mm. But the starting two guard, I guess, is just—I mean—that is the big topic, and it, it seems like it's bounced up so much, and we're just gonna have to see what happens. Really but. taking, really taking the spotlight off of Harrison Barnes. I feel like. I mean, Barnes hasn't been bad. Barnes hasn't been terrible. But I feel like he's the next. True. I, I do think Barnes has played pretty well over the last couple of weeks. I think sometimes his offense is hit or miss in terms of him going out and getting shots. And sometimes he's more aggressive at that than other times. Uh, and it, it really only comes up in particular situations. It's never throughout a game. But, I mean, Barnes, I think, is... I use the word versatility with him all the time, but his defensive versatility, I think, is is key. And I think even if Bancaro had a great game the other night, I think the way Barnes guards talented fours in this league is is an asset. I mean, he doesn't always shut guys down, but he gives you that that body that can can handle him and work on him the whole game and try to make it tough and try to squeeze into the cracks and do other things. I think he could still do better at that, but. I mean, when you talk about what's missing in the starting lineup and you, you, you focus mostly on Herter and Barnes because those are the big question marks in the starting lineup because the other three really aren't. I, I don't even think like Barnes and Herter are comparable. And I don't necessarily think you're saying mm-hmm. that. No. But yeah, I, I, I feel compelled to defend Barnes a little That's bit. That's fair. He, he deserves it. He, I mean, I'm just saying like I feel like if Herter would be doing well, he would be the next biggest. He would, not the biggest hole, but... You know, Barnes Barnes comes up with his own issues at times. But he he has been playing well 
well as of late and that is worth noting because i mean he did not he had a pretty bad stretch earlier this year that was you know making us raise the same question as we raise with herder right now but you know i was thinking about this during the charlotte game uh i think he typically has good games against the kings but pj washington jr who was not necessarily a name connected to the kings uh like kuzma reportedly was in july in terms of the free agency thing but I remember PJ Washington Jr. was another one of those names where it's like, maybe you could get this guy to come in and basically be your four. And that didn't seem super appealing, but I mean, sometimes in retrospect, things look better. And sometimes I wonder if uh, the Kings should have gone after a young, long, athletic PJ Washington. Yeah. Not necessarily saying they should have, but I mean, you talk about a lot of the times, like if you could have gotten a younger, longer, more athletic guy. Maybe P.J. Washington was that. But maybe that wasn't necessarily something that was going to happen. Maybe Charlotte and him were connected irreversibly, and that was just going to happen no matter what. But I think he's, his contract was like $14 million a year, and I think it actually goes down year by year, if, I was, if I'm not mistaken, looking at spot track a couple of nights ago. Yeah, I remember P.J. Like in the offseason. I'm like, this was a guy – that could be good for the Kings. He was, I don't. Mean, it. I mean, I. I don't know. <laughs> I. I wouldn't mind him here, honestly. But um, I remember he was kind of on the radar for us. Yeah, maybe they'll trade for him in a year or two. <laughs> yeah, for real. Definitely the guy that would fit in what we were asking for, like you mentioned. Yeah, I think versatile, younger. Allows Murray, I mean, Barnes is listed as the starting three, but I mean, we've said for a long time now that it's very clear that Barnes is the four on this team just based on who they guard and whatnot. But I guess it doesn't matter when the two through four are interchangeable. But PJ Washington would have been interesting, I guess. Mm -hmm. Just a thought there. It's a good one. Yeah, I mean, kind of talking, I mean... We can, we, I guess we've already kind of touched upon this topic a little bit with the trade and not necessarily knowing who the Kings could go after. But I think obviously it, it doesn't in, contain the Kings, but the connections and the rumors and whatnot uh, make it somewhat tied to the Kings. But OG Ananobi getting traded to the Knicks really took that kind of like top of the list dream target away. And maybe it wasn't realistic that the Kings were going to trade for him because it would have been very likely to pull off an Ananobi trade. The, the Raptors would have been demanding Keegan Murray, and that's just not going to happen. So that seemed like that was just never going to bear any fruit. But Ananobi's gone. Is there a guy that moves to the top of the dream list, or maybe even a guy that kind of comes more to the forefront that's more realistic that could get traded? I, I would say the top of my <laughs> somewhat realistic dream or a wish list would be Isaac Okoro, and he's just—he just seems more attainable to get than you know. I could say Laurie Markinen, or I probably wouldn't say Pascal Siakam. But I mean, there's big names out there still that obviously the Kings aren't going to get. Even Dorian Finney-Smith still seems like kind of a stretch, and maybe same with Okoro. I think he kind of fits in that same uh, that same category, but. Cleveland, you know, they have a lot of shooting guards. They have, or shooting guards slash small forwards, wings, I guess, and Lavert and Donovan Mitchell, Max Struess. Uh, he's someone that's been kind of talked about being on the trading block. Younger guy, defensive guy, can hit the three at a respectable clip. Um, like talking about the two so much right now, I think he'd be a, a nice addition to this team and someone that they can try to keep for the next couple of years and keep with this core. Because, I, I, like I said, I, yeah. I think what we're missing is like the defensive guy, and I think he can come in, stretch the floor just well enough while providing, you know, above average defense and and what this team needs, and kind of fit into the, what I was saying. Try to get the two through four interchangeable. He'd be more like two through three, while Murray would probably be more two through four, and Barnes would be four and three. But I, I mean, I think he'd fit in really well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that would be terrific if they can pull it off and. Like you mentioned, Dorian Finney-Smith, isn't Brooklyn like looking for a first round pick for a thirty year old and Finney? I know that's crazy or something like that. I, I so 
if you're going to trade a first round pick or two, I mean, Okoro's young, got upside. He could feasibly come in and be that starting two like you're talking about. I think if you're going to take a crack at anybody, it's going to be somebody like that. And I, I think that name, I mean, like, yeah, the Kings would love that. And it might be hard to do it just because Cleveland is getting a little bit out of Okoro. But I mean, everybody, you always have to maximize what you're able to get in assets and whatnot. So obviously Cleveland's going to look at it like, okay, well, this guy is a little bit on the back burner overall and we can maximize and uh, you know acquire assets here. It's not like Cleveland's going to be like, no, he's not being traded. I just don't feel like he's off limits. So it's possible. I think that's definitely a name that would fulfill a big acquisition while also being somewhat realistic. You might have to give up two first round picks. I don't know if I'm over exaggerating there, but does that seem right? I, I think two first rounds would be a little aggressive for Coro. He was um he was the first or not the first. He was a high draft pick a couple of years ago, back in twenty one. Uh, I think I want to say like the fifth or so. But I mean, he he plays like decent minutes. He's he's averaging eight point eight points a game uh in twenty six minutes. I don't know. Two first round seems a little aggressive for Okoro. He's not. I mean, he started every game his rookie year. Started most his second year, and then about half the games last year and half the games this year so far. So he's kind of like a hybrid bench uh, starter. I don't. I don't see two first rounders mm-hmm. for a guy averaging eight point eight points a game and thirty six percent from shoot or from deep and a career thirty three percent shooter. So I would say. I would say it's more towards that herder kind of deal, protected first, and then mm-hmm. maybe I, I I would have to see what Cleveland would want, like what they need, but maybe like a role player. Because, I mean, Cleveland's a team that's trying to make noise still. They have Donovan Mitchell. They have some pieces that they, like Darius Garland and Jared Allen. So maybe they would want, I don't know, herder. I mean, I, I mean <laughs> they'd be trading a Coro. <laughs> So getting rid of a wing. So maybe not so much Herder, but I don't know. I, I guess I would need to see what Cleveland really need. Maybe we can dish off a role player to them with like a protected first. Mm-hmm. And I think in the notion of utilizing first round picks, I mean, the Kings are going to, unless things go wrong, the Kings are going to have late first round picks going forward. How much can you add with, to your team in a late first round pick situation? You can do it. I mean, Mid to late first round picks can make a big difference. You're looking at, you know, Hackes in Miami this season or something like that. He was like the 20th, 21st pick or mm-hmm. something like that. So you can add guys like that, but how certain is that? You could end up with a Colby Jones is a little bit of a project. You know, it might be worth mortgaging. I mean, I think it's definitely worth mortgaging one first round pick for Okoro, but the Kings may view, you know, because Okoro. You know what you're getting out of him. He's been in the league for a few years. He's ready to contribute in some form or another. You're kind of playing yourself forward by getting something like that as opposed to utilizing some of these first-round picks and seeing what happens. Maybe it doesn't pan out. Maybe they don't develop very fast. So maybe that that could play into a reason to utilize one or more first-round picks. Not saying they should do that or they will do that, but it's definitely a factor, I think, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think Okoro is a, definitely a name that could could be something that happens. It definitely should be something that's talked about even more. Um, a guy that I thought about, and maybe that's just because I live in the Bay Area, but and, and also there's the connection with Mike Brown and everything like that, but you know, Moses Moody has been with the Warriors as a lottery pick for a few years now and has never really solidified a role there. And that's not to say he hasn't earned a role there. He always plays hard. He's got a seven-foot wingspan. He's a versatile wing. He can hit threes. He has an offensive game. But again, the King, the Warriors just seem not to be able to utilize him. Now, granted, Gary Payton II got hurt, so you're going to probably see more minutes for Moody. But if the Kings could pull off a trade for Moody, especially when you're talking about, okay, if things work out with Duarte at the two, and then you have Herter off the bench. Does Herter fulfill the needs on both ends of the floor that you need off the bench? That question is interesting. And when you talk about a guy that could fill that role, I think Moses Moody would be great for that role. And 
I mean, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, you're not getting a lot of time in Golden State. You could move an hour and forty minutes northeast of there and work with a coach that you worked with in your rookie season and maybe actually have a role. But I don't know what they'd have to give up to get that. I mean, the fact that they haven't played Moody that much can't mean that Moody's value is that high. So if the Warriors were open to trading him, I mean, I think the Kings could maybe get him. Maybe that's just conjecture at this point. But I mean, he's a name that's been connected to the trade market because of the reason that the Warriors don't really utilize him. And that does piss a lot of Warriors fans off from what I hear. So, and I can't, it also like Moody, as good of a guy as he is, as much of a good soldier he is with putting up with this stuff, you got to think this guy's patience is, is, is wearing thin. I mean, like a lottery pick with talent that's proven he can do stuff. I think he's far better than a guy like Jonathan Kaminga. Granted, they do different things and they're, they got different size and everything like that. But I mean, I feel like it's a matter of time for Moody to get moved and, what better place than just up the road? Yeah, I like Moody. I I kind of wanted him in that draft. It, well, that was the uh, Davion Mitchell draft, right? Um, I believe. So, I, I yeah. mean, I think he was on a top. He was on the top of a lot of Kings radars around where the Kings were drafting at nine, I believe, with Davion Mitchell. So yeah, I mean, I'd love to have him here. Long, athletic guy, stretch the floor really well. I mean, he always seems to cook the Kings. On three-point shooting, I swear every time we play him, he's always just knocking down threes. So I mean, he seems he's what like a a two-three kind of uh, wing player, right? Yeah, he's got some strength to him and a lot of length. Yeah, a lot of length. Or how, what is he mostly? Just the two right now, or like a two? It's two and a three, I would say. Two and a three. Okay. So yeah, no. I, I mean, mean, the Warriors be... play small a lot, so I mean, he'd be a versatile three. Hmm. But no, I would love Moody. I think that'd be great if you can just kind of take him. I mean, he's still young. He's only in his, what, third year, like Davion Mitchell. So, and it gets, I mean, that's where the Kings need help is on the wing. And Moody has the characteristics to fit right in and still has potential. I mean, you mentioned Moody and Davion being in the same draft. Now, granted, Davion's, you know, gotten the point guard, backup point guard role back and he's, I think defensively been very good. He's had a few offensive games. I think that was it the Memphis game where he, I think he had a few assists off of paint touches, kickouts and things like that was playing really well, but the offense is still a little inconsistent in terms of his impact. But if the Kings were really looking at Keon Ellis being that guy, could they swap Davion Mitchell for, for Moody? I mean, I don't know what the Warriors are necessarily thinking about Chris Paul or what the situation is there, but I, I kind of feel like Steve Kerr would kind of love a guy like Davion Mitchell defensively. Maybe that's, again, I don't cover the, the Warriors. I don't really follow the Warriors that closely, but maybe there's a swap there. Maybe a couple seconds. I don't know. It really depends what the Warriors value on Moody is, but I don't know. I think that's kind of a fun little potential target, kind of keeping it in Northern California. And there's so many connections between the Warriors and Kings. I think Moody could come in and be a seamless fit with the Kings in their rotation. Yeah, I think that would be a great target. Kind of like under the radar, not like the biggest pickup, but definitely a guy who has all the pieces to help this team out. And like you said, the Davion for Moody would be kind of an interesting swap. Because Davion, again, I mean, the the Warriors do have a lot of point guards. But, um, I mean, Mitchell, fit would Kerr would love him. I mean, a strong defensive player. He would kind of fit right into that culture. So, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see what, what Golden State would be like with a point of attack defender. I mean, they, I mean, they have, you know, they have guys like Wiggins and whatnot that can defend on the perimeter. But that point of attack defender that can keep Steph Curry, you know, on the two or whatever, that, that, that kind of stuff really does maximize the impact of the team. So Davion individually would be helping their defense, but in a lot of ways, I feel like he could help their offense by taking a load off other guys. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, Davion would be a hell of a weapon for them. So it definitely is interesting. I don't know again, if that's even realistic or whatnot. Uh, Again, Gary Payton, the second got hurt. I don't know what the injury is on that, but you know, Moody's going to get some minutes in the coming games. We'll see what happens, but, I mean, the guy's been in the league for three years. He may have earned, I think he's played a lot of the, 
He's played in such a way that has earned a role somewhere in this league. And if Golden State's not going to give it to him, I think Sacramento would. I think so, too. I think so, too. I think that's an interesting topic or a guy to look at for sure. I just it's I it's so hard with trade value. I just I don't know. It's like I don't know. It's like you said, like is Isaac Okoro worth a first round pick too? I, I have no idea. Like Alex Caruso is worth a first round pick. Sometimes it's just like who's who would give up a first round pick for Alex Caruso? But I, I, I don't know. It's always so crazy to me. And then like the OG Ananobi, it's like they want two first rounders for him, but then it's like. Well, you don't need to trade two first rounders if you trade RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly for him, and it just mm-hmm. and then a second rounder. So, I feel like you hear this because that's all the Kings have to offer, and then it just turns out some other team just offers like players of equal value. Sometimes I feel like that's even more realistic at times. Yes, we are admitting it's hard to know what these trades trade values are and we really don't know necessarily if any of this is realistic but who does yeah it's tough to say when you don't work in an nba front office yeah but uh you know tony and i are available for hire if anybody in the front office wants us yeah monty we'll uh i'll I'll bring you coffee (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) we'll be your court jesters yeah there you go We'll, we'll The Cap City Clowns. You can join us on the pod. We'll be your, <laughs> we'll be your contingency plan. Beautiful. Get fired. We'll be your fall guys. Yeah. There you go. Oh, there you go. No, they told me to do it. It was the Cap City Crown guys. Vivek fires us out of a cannon to fire us. <laughs> All right. Be cool. Sounds like something Vivek would do. Demotes us to the dunk team or something. We have to do halftime performance. Do a handstand and then you'll stand on my That'd feet. That'd be cool. And you'll shoot a three from midcourt. Yeah. That'd be pretty good entertainment value off the charts hey so next career right there let's go (laughs) um i guess one thing that i wanted to talk about was malik monk and not necessarily for any reason that oh he's the sixth man of the year favorite which he may very well be in a lot of our opinions and nor is it really even the fact that you know he's he may very well be the third best player on this team but I think my Mike Brown and Malik Monk's relationship is worth talking about because we saw Malik Monk play just under five minutes in the first half against the Hornets. He came in, didn't get off to a great start offensively, which granted he didn't do against Orlando either before having the best game of his season. Uh, was, was Sat down, came in in the second half and was more of the same. They didn't have a good game. And uh, afterwards, we heard in the in the media room that uh, people had noticed that Monk and Brown were having a lively conversation on the bench. And as both of them have pointed out, that happens all the time. Won't be the last time they do stuff like that. They're both competitors. They're going to talk. But Mike Brown did note, I think, before the Hornets or before the um, after this Orlando game, rather, he noted that he talked to Monk after that Hornets game and said, hey, you know, I got to do a better job of coaching you. I can't just sit you and expect you to come out and, and, and do what you're going to do. And Monk said, okay, yeah, and I, I won't look at you that same way again, and I, I got to play better on all this. And then just it seemed like a, a way to – were two guys that are, again, heavy competitors, held each other accountable without taking things personally and move forward. And, you know, as, as Mike Brown said – you know, he told Monk that we've got to be able to talk like adults and not take things personally and all this stuff. Mike Brown has said about Malik Monk a year ago, you know, Malik does stuff that makes you want to go crazy. It makes you want to tear your hair out. I don't know if Mike Brown said that on account of the fact he doesn't have any hair, but, <laughs> you know, he, he, he he's maintained this position about Malik Monk that Malik Monk is a little bit of a, in a non-bad way, is a little bit of a live wire and a little bit of a volatile player and being a competitor and standing up for himself and stuff like that. Yet it never really gets lost on them that not only do coaches have to listen to players, but players have to listen to coaches. Cause I think Mike Brown said like four times this season in post game interviews where he goes, yeah, you know, me and the coaches were whining a little bit too much to the uh, referees and Monk came over and told us to shut up. And Monk reiterated that the other night. And I just, Maybe I'm just kind of throwing out a word salad here, but you get the gist. I think this Monk relationship with Mike Brown is 
entirely indicative of this team in that there's a two-way street of conversation and accountability here. And you can see it in, in, in Brown's ability to deal with Monk, and you can see it in Monk's openness uh, with dealing with Brown. You're seeing it on full display all the time that this this team is willing to kind of stick together and whatnot. And I think you've seen it over the last couple of games. Their fight has been really, really good. I think in a lot of these back-to-back losses this season, it hasn't been so much the fatigue of losing on the second of a back-to-back so much as their lack of fight. And I think the biggest remedy to that or the biggest structural force to maintain better fight is the fact that these guys can hold each other accountable, both coaches and players either way. And I don't know. I mean, I think when you talk about hope going forward, we can talk about the defensive performance over the last couple of games. But man, the bond of this team with its coaches is is just extremely strong. And I, I still think that it's the best strength of the team. I mean, I, I think it is the biggest strength of, of this team. I was talking to someone yesterday about the Kings who wasn't too familiar with the team. And I, that's what I said. I'm like, I think their biggest strength is their chemistry. And it really shows. And we were just talking about trades, too. And, you know, there's a lot of trades. The Kings have been linked to so many trade rumors this season so far. And it's barely January. Um, and I think something really important to remember during this, this trade season <laughs> at the same time it doesn't matter because monty's only gonna be the one you know pulling the trigger and he's probably thinking things through a million times more than any of the fans do but i mean we all we have to think about chemistry right it's like some of these names sound great but i mean you also have to you have to take in to account chemistry you don't want that locker room presence that chemistry that's with coaches and players being open being able to talk to each other ruined so i think going into this all these trade talks and the deadline i mean it's crazy that it's only like a month and a half away now right so i think that's just something to consider too when you're going on nba trade machine and looking at like this guy you know could fit this team really well but i don't know sometimes i'm like i don't know do you you trust that guy to be as open in this system the Kings have developed, you know, so I, I, some names I, you know, Zach Levine is one that scares me and even Kyle Kuzma. I don't think the Kings will get these guys, but like they're great players, right? Maybe they're not the best defenders, but it's also in the next step is thinking about the chemistry in this team and why it would be so like critically wrong to mess that up. Yeah, and thank you, Tony. Thank you for tying a knot around that and connecting it to the other topics here because I was <laughs> I was treading water there for a second. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that's a great point too because, I mean, my uh, Malik Monk said it after the Orlando game that one of the things that allows this team to fight for one another is the fact that they've been together so long. So you can't mess that bond up. And I think that obviously had a huge deal. I mean, that had a, that was a huge factor in retaining Harrison Barnes and all of that. And I mean, it's definitely a factor going forward. And I think it's another reason why I think if the Kings make a trade this offseason, it's not going to be that trading for the big star. It's got to be more of a small, almost kind of obscure move. So... That's an, just a huge factor, and it's one of those things you can't screw with because it's been built here, and it's steady, and it's again, it's a stabilizing force for the team, and it's a it's a it's a structural help just to be able to have that connection throughout the group, and you can screw that up by getting a player that comes in, especially if they have a pretty bigger role and you know a, a track record of doing things in this league, that might not always mesh. That doesn't just come in and get everybody drinking the same Kool-Aid. So, yeah, huge factor. Their bond. Don't mess it up. Don't do it. It's important. It's, sometimes it's easy to overlook it and thinking about bringing in a, a big-time scorer. I, 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 man, I mean, there's probably great examples in sports history. I can't think of one off the top of my head. If you can think of one, throw it in the comments. But I know there have been times where Oh, I mean, the great example, a perfect example off the top of my head, the Kings, the Kings, the, the scores, 18, 19 Kings, they traded Iman Shumpert or they didn't even trade Iman Shumpert. They got Harrison Barnes and I think they just like waved Iman Shumpert. 
And it's not Barnes's fault, but Amon Chumpert was the leader of that team. Everyone he everyone followed him. It was a younger team, and they were on pace to kind of break that playoff drought. And then they waved him, and they kind of just fell apart. So I mean, we that wasn't even that long ago, four or five years ago now. So I mean, that's just a prime example. And Amon Chumpert wasn't even like a guy. He was a starting small forward at that point, but it wasn't like he was dropping twenty a game or anywhere close to that. So just showing like the 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 importance of that chemistry and what it means. I think, I mean, boom, right there. And on the Kings, the Kings example too. Yeah. And it's a, it's also a nice way of saying you can't go for personnel and, and, and talent over leadership and, and chemistry for sure. But yeah. Is there anything else though? Is that it? That's all we got today. Uh, I guess one thing I wanted to say is, Malik Monk also said in the post-game press conference against the Magic, because Fox obviously did not have the best game. He, he he was really inefficient in terms of scoring and was absent at different points. I think he really showed tried to show up late in the game. But, you know, Monk was asked about that, and Monk said, well, he's not going to play like an all-star every game. Sometimes, you know, quote, a bruise, end quote, is going to bother him. And... uh that made me think, did did uh, Malik Monk just say the quiet part out loud that Darren Fox is being bothered by a bruise? Does it have something to do with the ankle in some way? Does it have something to do with, a, a, I mean, we've heard about a foot bruise bothering him before last season. Uh, is there something up with Fox? And is this also kind of one of those situations where Mike Brown, as we've said before, and as he's done before too, does he need to step up and kind of be that coach and say, hey, you need to take a rest here because we, we need you. I mean, granted, we don't know if anything is wrong with if anything is wrong with Fox, but I mean, it raises that question again. Yeah, I, it was definitely out, like, out of character for him uh, on Wednesday to I, what did he finish with 14, 15 points. He had 10 for the longest time um, and I wasn't following stats mm-hmm. as close since I was there, but I don't know. I, I, he must be hurt or something because even I mean double overtime you think he would have scored like 40 points in those two overtimes instead he, he went six of 22 yeah geez that was such a bad game for him I'm just like worried I, I just expected him to break out eventually he just never did and like I was about to say he he hit a couple big shots um in the closing like minute to help ice that game out but I don't know is he hurt he didn't seem hurt against um, Charlotte. He scored 30, played pretty well. Um, but, I mean, if he is hurt, then, yeah, he <laughs> he can't be scoring 10 points and risking further injury down the line. So, I mean, we had that conversation already this year. He just needs to, you know, take one for the team. Everyone wants to go out and play. I get it. Like, you don't want to sit out if you don't have to. But sometimes it's necessary to sit a game or two out. It's a good, I mean, who do they play uh, today? Who do they play today? Uh, I never looked that up. We were talking before the podcast. I'm like, who do they play on Friday? I know. None of us has looked it up, but <laughs> I got it here. Um, they play Toronto. Okay, so a, a winnable game. A, a tough matchup, kind of like the Magic, and they're lengthy and hard to match up with for the Kings. But again, a game I expect them to win as they're the better team. So, I mean, if Fox needs maybe a breather, then he should speak up and do so. Because it, it was just kind of weird for him to not kind of just be really bad. So, yeah. And also another element to that, too, is that uh, you could thrust someone in for a game or two if you needed to. If you, if Fox really did need this rest and they were going to go ahead and do it, you mean you'd be giving maybe another opportunity to somebody to see what they can do. Maybe get Keon Ellis back in there or a Kessler Edwards type, you know, situation or even give Juan Toscano Anderson a little bit of a bigger role and see what they can do with the rest of the team because we like we started this podcast off saying is Duarte I think will hold that starting two guard position I think he's entitled to kind of show what he can do for at least a few more games before anybody chooses to give up on him for one bad game against the Magic but it would give you an opportunity to evaluate some of these other guys because you know, like we said, if Duarte doesn't work out at the starting two, I really wouldn't be surprised if 
Brown sticks with the defensive mindset because that's clearly what they've got. That's the, clearly the hurdle they've got to jump uh, if they're going to make the leap overall that they want to make. So seeing what JTA and Kessler Edwards and even getting Keon Ellis back in the mix for a few games just to get a glimpse to see, to evaluate, would be helpful. But again, that's if Fox is being bothered by something. Uh, we'll have to see. I don't think there's, as of recording this, anything's been said about it. I mean, aside from Monk saying that comment and maybe the speculation of seeing Fox have a game like that, there's really nothing to go off of in terms of injury. But if there is, either he's got to take personal accountability or more likely and more the case, the head coach has to make the executive decision mm-hmm. to factor in the big big picture here and what's going on. And like Mike Brown has said, injuries and stuff like that and even garbage time is a great time to great opportunity for guys to earn minutes and great time to evaluate those guys. So there could be a bit of a silver lining in there if Fox was hurt and they did have to sit him for a few. Mm, for sure. But yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's it today. I mean, Kings play tonight. They play, I think, Sunday as well against yeah. the team. Uh, they play. I, ju- I just looked at it. The Pelicans. They get the Pelicans again. That's going to be a good game. They get the Pelicans. And then I believe Tuesday, Wednesdays is another back-to-back, just like last week. So Detroit a lot of games in this stretch. I, I, Detroit and Charlotte? Yeah, on the road. Okay. So hopefully they can actually do the unthinkable and win both back-to-back games for once. But we'll see. Winnable games. You kind of need revenge against Charlotte and I think at this rate, it's just unacceptable <laughs> to lose to Detroit. So, has Detroit um, won yet? Or are they still they on did. Their losing they, streak? They 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 broke it, but still, <laughs> it's it's still pretty unacceptable to lose that, to a team that lost twenty eight straight games this year. Hundred percent. But I just feel like, given the Kings, it's like ah, I kind of feel better about the Kings going into Detroit without them having that big losing streak. Uh, that is true. Just uh, just given what happened against Charlotte. Yeah, so. that's a good point. I do too. It's like you know, and you also don't want to be that team just in case it does happen. It's like, oh my god, because you just blow it out, <laughs> blow it into greater proportions. But yeah, I mean, I think three winnable games. Pelicans, <laughs> maybe we can finally get their number. We'll see. But yeah, they play four four times in the next six days. Sounds like six days, seven days. So. A lot of basketball ahead, but John, anything to wrap it up with? I just think they can, they'll win all these games if they continue to defend. So just keep that up, make that the central focus, and I think they'll be okay in the long run. I think so too. I think so too. But all right, as always, I want to thank you for tuning in. And until next time, have a good one.